This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Well, we have a treat for you today. We have a guest speaker. Dr. R.T. Kendall was born in Kentucky and graduated from Trevecca Nazarene University here in Nashville. But his academic journey took him to London or into to England, to be more, more uh, precise, to Oxford University, where he earned his Ph.D. From there, he pastored for over 25 years the Westminster Chapel, which is a world-famous church. And from that ministry has written almost 60 books. In fact, I tried to ask him how many books and he said he lost count. Now, that is pretty amazing when you've lost count of how many books you've written. Our staff last year, we read the book, The Anointing Together, and it impacted us greatly. Uh, A few years ago, Dr. Kendall retired and came to Hendersonville. But almost every weekend, he travels somewhere around the world uh, ministering. So it's an honor to have him as a resident of our community. Today he's going to share one of his most impactful uh, sermons that comes from the book Total Forgiveness. My life was touched in the first service. I know your life is going to be touched this morning. Would you please join me in welcoming Dr. R.T. Kendall. Thank you, Pastor. Pleasure to be here. I love not having to go to the Nashville airport. And I, I think this is the nearest to our home of any place I've been. Just wonderful. Like, just come up Indian Lake. We live at the other end of Indian Lake, on the lake. Come right across by Walgreens and come right up here. So I'll come back. <laughs> you mentioned Kentucky. I know that your wife and I have that in common. And I say this reluctantly. I wouldn't want any of you to feel inferior to me because I'm from Kentucky. (laughs) I I realize you Tennesseans, you can't help it. Uh, I'll, I'll try not to rub it in. My wife, Louise, she's from northern Illinois. She's a snob. <laughs> See, in Illinois, they think they are cut above Kentuckians. But you see, you could be from Texas. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, I pray that I will be a blessing to you. Would you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45? Genesis chapter 45. What I want to do is put this that I'm going to read in context for you that may not know the story. It's about Joseph, who was the favorite son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob did something no parent should do, and that is to show favoritism. But he did. Joseph was his favorite. And he made his son a coat of many colors. Wrong thing to do. But the only thing worse than giving it was wearing it. Joseph wore that thing. Annoyed the 11 brothers and they could take it no longer. They were going to kill him. Only because Ishmaelites turned up at the same time they were going to say goodbye to him. They decided not to shed blood, but to sell him to the Ishmaelites. They yanked that coat of many colors off his back, laid before old Jacob, who took the bait, and they breathed a sigh of relief, 
and says, well, we got away with it. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. They never expected to see Joseph again. But God was with Joseph. And uh, they could not have known how much God was with him. Joseph had this gift of interpreting dreams. And that is the reason he became prime minister of Egypt, because of his interpreting Pharaoh's dream. I've written a book on the life of Joseph called God Meant It For Good. I didn't bring any books. Maybe should have, but I didn't. Ricky Skaggs wrote the foreword to God Meant It For Good. Anyway, uh, Joseph had always known that the day would come that we're going to describe now. I'm going to read. Because he had been given dreams that one day his 11 brothers would bow down to him. He thought that God gave him those dreams so that one day he could look at those brothers and say, gotcha. And get his comeuppance. Pay them back. He longed for that. But you see, God postponed that day until by the time it came, it was a different Joseph. A new Joseph. A Joseph that had totally forgiven his brothers. And so instead of saying, gotcha, he begins to cry. He sobs. And so here's the reading in Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind, that their perception of what I say will be as you intend, and upon my tongue. That I'll be cleansed, that I'll say everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. May this be a life changing morning. May every person leave this place changed, never to be the same again.
And may this bring you great honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The message that I believe I was supposed to bring to you today was born in what was at the time the darkest hour that Louise and I had ever gone through. It was while we were in London. And what happened was unfair. It was wrong. And the outlook was very bleak. It was the worst thing that ever happened to us. And I didn't know how I would cope. And I was angry. I was bitter. How could this happen? How could they do this? But an old friend by the name of Joseph Tsun happened to be in London. He's from Romania. He was in London. And because I knew he wouldn't tell anybody, I decided to tell Joseph what they did. Now, if I'm honest, the reason I told him is that he would put his arm around me and say, R.T., you ought to be angry. Get it out of your system. Uh, but instead, uh, he just uh, uh, looked at me and said, is there anything more? I said, no, that's it. I wasn't prepared for what followed. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, it would turn out to be my finest hour. Joseph Stone looked at me and said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful of the wounds of a friend. I said, Joseph, uh, you know, I just remembered I haven't told you everything. Listen to this. R.T. <laughs> I can hear him now in his Romanian accent. You must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can and you must the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Almost certainly the hardest thing you will ever have to do. And that's when you climb down, set that person free who's hurt you. And on top of that, you bless them. And you see, when you do that, you're going right against nature. Because the most natural thing in the world is to want vengeance. You may be among those who say, I hear people talk about miracles. I've never seen a miracle. I've never seen the deaf healed. Look, right under your nose is a miracle waiting to happen. Because if you do what I'm proposing that you do today, you cross over into the supernatural and you do that for which there's no natural explanation when you set them free. So why should you listen to me today? What hope have I got that you will follow my suggestions? Well, I only have one hope. And that is if the anointing of the Spirit matters to you. You said you read my book, The Anointing. I'd forgotten you said that. I didn't bring any books uh, today. They have some of my books at Total Forgiveness 
in Barnes and Noble, and there are two left in Publix. I want everybody to go to Publix today, <laughs> buy those two books, then go to the manager, complain that you've come all this distance to get that. <laughs> no. It took him three years before he started putting my books in there. So I'm hoping they won't stay there too long. See, I got in the flesh then. I was under the anointing until I said that pushing my books. I have one hope that you will want what I've got to say. That is, if the anointing, or to put it another way, you want all of God you can get. If there's anybody here like that, you've come to the right place. Now, that may not matter to you. It doesn't matter to a lot of people. But it matters to me. I live for one thing. I don't know that this is a spiritual request. I honestly don't. I want it so much, I cannot tell you whether it's natural or spiritual. I want a greater anointing than anything in the world. And this, after 50 years in the ministry, 56, I think, to be exact, all my... Knowledge, wisdom, learning, I've come down to one thing. This is it. This is the way forward if you're wanting more of God. You can go on a 40-day fast. It won't do you any harm. And I see some people here that should. (laughs) Got in the flesh again. Boy, what am I going to do? Lord, forgive me. That won't help you that much when it comes to uh, anointing. You can have people pray for you, have somebody lay hands on you, and you fall to the floor. But if you're bitter when you fall, you'll be bitter when you get up. Because total forgiveness is an act of the will. You make a choice to let them off the hook. Act of the will. Now, total forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation comes, but usually it doesn't. Sometimes it's not even good. If your wife sleeps with your best friend, or your husband sleeps with your best friend, you forgive them, but you don't go on holiday with them. If a man is found to be a child molester, you forgive him, but you don't let him teach a little boy's Sunday school class. Total forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. But what it is, is you set them free. You kiss vindication goodbye. You kiss vengeance goodbye. And you actually pray for them to be blessed. You see, R.T., I could never do that. Well, understand. I don't think I could put a harder thing to you. I could get everybody here to tie their double ties easier than to do this. But I'm going to tell you now, this will set you free. There are medical reasons you should do it. Any doctor will tell you holding a grudge is injurious to your health. It leads to high blood pressure, kidney disease, heart trouble. Arthritis, I'm not saying if you've got these that this is why, but sometimes it is the reason. And it wouldn't be something if through today, setting them free, that the physiological process that's got you into the physical mess would be reversed. and You start to feel better physically, too. It's a fringe benefit. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Living Bible says, Another reason for forgiveness to, is to keep from being outsmarted by the devil. Now, that's profound. A reason you should forgive. Forget the anointing. Forget physical benefits. When you hold a grudge and you refuse to forgive, you didn't mean to do it. Maybe you didn't know you were doing it. But in that moment, you invite the devil to come in and walk all over you. He comes in. You're oppressed. You're angry. You're bitter. You're negative. No smile on your face. The devil got in. And today you can be set free in this place. Don't need to have anybody lay hands on you. Exercise the devil. And I'm not against that. But I'm telling you, the devil will have to go if you forgive them. He can't stay. He's out of there. It can happen today. Well, the question is, how do you know you've done it? And that's what I've come to talk to you about. So the question is, how do you know you've done it? Here's the deal. If in the next 20 minutes, I'm able to show that you haven't totally forgiven after all, even though maybe you feel you have done. I'm sure many hands would go up that you've forgiven. But here's the deal. If I were to show in the next 20 minutes that you haven't, after all, would you then do it? That's the deal. Decision time will come. And it can happen right in this place. You can leave here never to be the same again. For some here, for some here, this could be the most important moment since your conversion. I've seen lives changed all over the world through this message that I've come to bring you today. All right, how do you know you've done it? Proof number one. You do not tell anybody what they did to you. You see, where do you get that? Right here in the text. Listen to this. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one, no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Now. Here's the picture. Here's Joseph speaking through an interpreter in Egyptian garb. The 11 brothers don't have a clue. This is their brother. He knows who they are. He's speaking in Egyptian. The interpreter speaks in Hebrew. His members of cabinet here, his aides. Suddenly, Joseph says, everybody out. Oh, they don't know why. They start walking out. The interpreter hangs around and says, you'll need me. He says to the interpreter, out. And then, behind closed doors... Joseph begins to speak to them in Hebrew. I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. And they're scared to death. Why did he make everybody leave? It's because he wants to make sure nobody will ever find out what they did to him. You see, he has... He has a motive. He's going to try to get them to come and live in Egypt. He knows if the word leaks out, every Egyptian to a man would hate those men. Which is what he used to want. 
But he's a different Joseph now. And he wants those brothers to be heroes. He knows that he's a hero. He wants his brothers to be loved. And so he says, everybody out. The proof of total forgiveness, you don't tell anybody what they did. You want to protect them. Now, there are two exceptions. One, had a lady come in the vestry at Westminster Chapel, said they found my rapist. They want me to testify. I said, well, you must. Well, she said, you've, you've taught me to forgive, and I've forgiven him. Besides, he's from Iran, and if he's sent back, he'll be beheaded. I said, look, it's not personal with you. You've forgiven him, but you, you ought to answer to the court, and he's a danger to society. So she did, and he was sent back. That's all we know. The other exception, you need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons. Share it with somebody. One, one, your pastor, somebody who won't tell. Not two, not ten, not a hundred, not five hundred. One. Why is it you want to tell it? Well, you can't bear the thought that anybody will like them anymore. So it's, it's your job to sort out this, straighten everybody out. You can't bear the thought that people will admire those who've hurt you. And so you tell it. Never mind that the Bible says God has that prerogative. Vengeance is mine. You say, but Lord, you are so slow. <laughs> so you want to help him out a little bit. And you deprive him. Of doing what he does best. That will be the way he clears your name. You try to help him out. He backs off and you'll never see it happen. Proof number one. You don't tell anybody what they did. You can tell the Lord. You can tell Jesus. In fact, he likes it. He wants to be the only one in on it. But you see, if he's just one among hundreds, it's nothing special to him. But when you confide in him... It's like the old spiritual, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. God likes it that way. Just tell him, but don't tell anybody else. Psalm 142, verse 2. Pour your complaint out to the Lord. Not to everybody. Proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. As soon as Joseph speaks to them in Hebrew, I'm Joseph. They're scared to death. They're terrified. Which is the way... Joseph wanted him to feel for years. He longed for the day they'd be afraid of him. And now he's got it, handed to him on a silver platter, but he doesn't want it. He's a new Joseph. You want people to be afraid of you because of what they've done to you. You want to keep them intimidated. You walk into the room and they see you. They freeze. You think, good. I love it. It's because you haven't forgiven them. When you want to keep a person afraid of you, you see, that's the opposite of God. We just go up to him and call him Abba, Father. 
He didn't want you to be afraid of him. But you want people to be afraid of you? Husband, wives, play this game. Keep the other nervous. Don't speak. Keep them afraid. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's you in the flesh. And the devil loves it. By the way, this message would heal any marriage on the rocks by sundown today. If both of you will stop pointing the finger. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. Why do you keep a record? Oh, to show you've paid. Why do you keep a record of wrongs? So you can say, I will remember that. Two days later, you quote back to make them feel guilty. Get them on the spot. Keep them nervous. This is the reason marriages break down many times. Doesn't need to happen. Perfect love casts out fear. Don't let them be afraid. Proof number one, you don't tell what they did. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. Proof number three, you don't even let them feel guilty. Listen to Joseph. He said, I am your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. You see, Joseph was wanting to help them to forgive themselves. There's a sequel to this message. Totally forgiving ourselves. God wants you to forgive yourself. Joseph knew that they were having a problem with guilt. He said, don't be angry with yourselves. That's the way you set another person free. You don't even want them to feel guilty. You say to somebody, I hope you're sorry for what you've done. Why do you want them to be sorry? You're afraid that there's not enough guilt there. Let God handle that. Joseph says, don't be angry with yourselves. You say, well, you don't have to forgive them until they're sorry. Really? Where did you get that? Not so. I seem to recall Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. They don't even know. You see, the crux of what makes you angry with people, they won't forgive you. Or, or, they don't even think they've done anything wrong. You may not like it, but nine out of ten people you ever have to forgive, they don't even think they've done anything. They really don't. The people I had to forgive in London, you could have put them under a lie detector. They didn't think they'd done anything at all. By the way, never went to them. Never said a word. Ever. It happened here. Here. I was set free. And if this sermon were to convict you a little bit, and you've got an issue with somebody else in this room, hint of advice. When the sermon is over, don't walk across the room and go up to them and say, well, now in the light of our teeth sermon, I forgive you. They'll look at you and say, for what? You will say, well, you know what? Well, I do not know. Well, you do. I don't. Well, you should. Now you've got to fight, which is what you wanted. You couldn't bear the thought that they don't know how hurt you are. Do you know something? It takes minimal grace to forgive them 
when they're sorry. It's pretty easy to do. If they're sorry, forget it. I mean, even, even the godfather of the mafia can climb down. Oh, if you're sorry. Soft words turn away wrath. That's even in the world. It takes minimal grace to forgive if they're sorry. Here's what challenges you when they're not sorry, you forgive. And if they don't know what they've done, you forgive. You don't tell them. You're being like Jesus. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. Here's an opportunity to get a major victory. Don't ever wait till they're sorry. Because you'll, then you forgive them. You'll never know what it would have been like if you had forgiven them when the times are the toughest. Get a major victory. Don't even be angry with yourselves, says Joseph. And don't be surprised if the people you have to forgive are among the godly. The church members, you've heard the poem, Living with the Saints Above. Oh, that will be glory. Living with the saints below. Well, that's another story. You don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't let them feel guilty. Fourth, you let them save face. It's an oriental expression. You cover for them. You act like you don't know what they did. In Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, there's a section, let the other person save face. You'll win a person over for life if you let them save face. Instead of rubbing their noses in it, Reminding them of what they've done, always throwing up their past. That's the devil. The devil wants you to do that. But you just let him save face. You look the other way. And here's what Joseph says to them. He says, look, you didn't even do it. God did it. God did it. They couldn't believe their luck. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God did it. It's all something he did. Some of you know the name Jim Baker. Went to prison. He read my book, God Meant It For Good. Changed his life. He will now look at you in the eye and say the best thing that ever happened to him. He went to prison. And you know, when you get right in your heart, you forgive. And you... Forgive God as well for letting it all happen. It's then that you're set free. And you can see how God will use you. I can now tell you that what happened to us in London, in those years at Westminster Chapel, best thing that ever happened to us. Best, I, at the time, it was the worst. Now I say it's the best. Literally, the best thing that ever happened to us. But you won't be able to say that. Until you've totally forgiven them. You don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't let them feel guilty. You let them save face. Fifth, you protect them from their darkest secret. You see, what was the darkest secret of these 11 brothers? Well, they had taken that coat of many colors off Joseph's back, lay it before old Jacob. Lied, said a wild beast has devoured him. 
They would rather die than have to go back and tell their dad what really happened. They'd rather die, literally, rather die. Joseph knew that. He's not going to let them go back and tell that. He tells them what to say, word for word. You can read it when you get home. Because of time, I didn't read the whole chapter. It's all there. Joseph writes the script word for word. He won't let them tell that. Chances are you know something about somebody that were it to come out could destroy them. And the person scared to death that you might tell it. Maybe you hold it over the heads. Don't do that. That's not Jesus. Assure that person nobody will ever, ever know. We've all got skeletons in the closet. And God's not wanting to yank out the skeleton and embarrass us. He lets us save face. Protects us from our darkest secret. Proof number six, very, very important, arguably the most important part of this message. Total forgiveness is a life sentence. What that means is you're going to have to do it as long as you live. It's like your doctor gives you a tablet. It says you'll have to take this the rest of your life. I take a little purple pill called Nexium every morning. I ain't going to get better. I have to take it the rest of my life. Total forgiveness is a life sentence. You have to do it today. You have to do it again tomorrow. You have to do it Tuesday. A week from Tuesday. A year from now. Five years from now. Why? Because the devil will remind you of what they've done. And you get all churned up. And you just have to keep doing it. You don't tell them. I'm still forgiving you, you know. Oh, no. They don't even know you're having the battle. It's a life sentence. It comes out in chapter 50. When Jacob dies, the 11 brothers panic. They make up a story. They come running to Joseph. Said, Joseph, before dad died, he told us to tell you to forgive us for what we did. Because they're so afraid that Joseph's just been waiting for the old man to die. Joseph starts to cry. What's the matter with you men? I told you 17 years ago, I forgave you. I forgave you then. I forgive you now. Don't worry. And the real genius of Joseph comes out here. Do you know why God could use him? You're wanting God to use you. You've wondered why that promise hasn't been fulfilled. That prophetic word given to you that God was going to use you one day. You've cried out, how long, how long, how long? I've come to tell you how long. Right now, I'm going to tell you. As long as it takes to bring you to the place Joseph got to. Where he totally forgave his brothers. You see, the genius of Joseph was not his IQ or his education or his ability to learn Egyptian or his diplomatic skills. No, it was because he really had forgiven them. We look at the situation today, whether in the church or in the world, politics or education, small men scrambling for power. And they get there, they're angry. God is looking for somebody who's not angry. Maybe the next governor of Tennessee is in this room. At the moment, he can't use you. But maybe he will. Maybe the next Billy Graham is here. We're talking about anointing where God can use you. When success won't go to your head, you're living for one thing, his glory. 
I close. Proof number seven. Total forgiveness is when you bless them. We all know Jesus said, pray for your enemy, bless them. He didn't say, pray, oh God, I commit them to thee. When you're hoping God will kill them. No, bless them. And so in Genesis 50, this is what Joseph does. He blesses them. He says, don't worry. I will look after you. He blessed them. And you bless your enemy. I came into the pulpit one Sunday morning at Westminster Chapel. We're singing the old English hymn. You probably haven't heard it. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. No extra charge for this little concert. That's two I've given you. I looked out of the congregation and there was a person there. It was a, a woman who had done irreparable emotional damage to one of our children. And I was so angry. I, I lost. I could barely sing. I had to read the scripture, sing again, pray. I don't know how I got through the service, except offering time gave me five minutes at, at the end uh, before I preached. I had five minutes. And as I sat there, they took the offering. God entered into a conversation with me. It doesn't happen to me very, every day. I don't say it's verbatim, the conversation, but it's pretty close. The Lord said, R.T., you want revival in Westminster Chapel? Yes. How much do you want revival? Oh, a lot. Which would you rather have, revival or for me to spend, send judgment on that woman out there? Revival. Really? Hmm. And pray for her. I said, Lord, I pray for her. He said, that's not good enough. Ask me to bless her. Lord, bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Do you mean that? Yep. And what if I really do bless her? Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> but that's the point. And I wasn't able to preach that day. I promise I could. I had to, God may have made me resign. I had to start praying that God would bless her and mean it. And to prove I mean it, I had to put her on my prayer list the next day. And after a while, it got so that it was fun. And I begin to add other people to my prayer list that have been enemies. They don't know I pray for them. I don't want them to know. They may find out in heaven. If they don't find out, then it doesn't matter. The blessing I get from saying, God, bless them. Bless them. Bless them. People wonder why I've written so many books. They think it's my education. Wrong. It's not my IQ. It's not that I'm even from Kentucky. <laughs> it's because the anointing has come. Now, publishers queue up for a book. They take anything I give them. It's not my education. God has just given me so much. I don't have time to get the books written. It's the anointing. He'll do it for you. I'm no different. You may not be a writer, but whatever you do, 
God will bless it more than ever. Set them free. Set them free. But as nobody leave for a minute, don't need any music. I'm deprived by not getting to hear you sing. But we'll just stay right here. Poor thing, you had to hear this thing twice, haven't you? You must really need it. <laughs> Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, take this word and apply this word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at me. One minute from now, I'm going to ask you, if you are prepared to forgive, to stand up. I made a deal with you. I don't know if you accepted it. The deal was that if I were to show that you haven't totally forgiven after all, would you then do it? So 50 seconds from now, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're ready to do it. You say, in front of all these people? Yes. Oh, they'll know I've had a problem. Yes. But you will decide whether you want the honor of God or have people to think this or that. It doesn't matter. In 35 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand. Don't stand. Unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't tell what they did. You say, it's too late, RT. Already done it. Don't do it anymore. Don't stand unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't let them be afraid of me. I won't let them feel guilty. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their darkest secret. I accept this as a life sentence. And I will bless them. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church in Indian Lake.